welcome, dear friends and listeners, our congregation, to the Right Right Podcast, Season 2, Episode 17, Making a Living as a Writer. I'm Elon. I'm John. And I'm Craig. And today, we're going to be talking about, that's right, making a living as a writer. I forgot to, <laughs> I forgot to do our, our tagline. I am so sorry. This podcast is your weekly pep talk on living the writing life. That's, I forgot to say that, and I, I abase myself to you both for forgetting that. It's um, unacceptable. It's okay for today, because we're talking about making your living as a writer, so of all the, it, I think it fits as a later thing. Fair, fair enough, thank you. Thank you yeah. for, for being an understanding and benevolent ruler. Um, <laughs> so, there's kind of, there's this dream among many of us, I know that I've held it, um, before sort of like really trying to dig into uh, living as a writer. And that is the idea that when you make a living as a writer with a capital W, that is making a living off of novels, making a living off of selling books. Um, and that is an incredibly difficult thing. Uh, in fact, the odds are stacked pretty heavily against writers in that regard. I mean, I tried doing some research on the average wages of uh, independent writers in the U.S., and it's... It's complicated because writers like Pat Rothfuss and Brandon Sanderson really throw off the curve. Um, the average becomes much higher than what is actually going on for people because of deals like John Scalzi's $10 million for 10 years from Tor, stuff like that. Um, but, so for, for most people, the idea of becoming a successful, independently employed person just on novels is actually pretty unrealistic. And that's not... The wor- I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a harsh reality, but it's also not the worst thing in the world, because there are so many other things that you can do as a writer to support yourself. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, sort of like the wide world of writing for money. <laughs> um, without, without, you know, um, without uh, compromising your values, I suppose, because there's plenty that can be done with you working toward improving your writing um, and, and, and being gainfully employed. Um, so I'd love to talk to both John and Craig about this because in their own ways, they both do this. Um, so let's start. What are, what are like off the top of your head? Uh, what are the, what are the kinds of jobs available to people who want to write creatively? Um, I would say one type of job is a communications job. Um, and that's a rather nebulous phrase. Uh, it's one I'm hoping to move into fairly soon. Um, so it means, uh, at least in the context I know of it, it means to create all the communications that go out publicly for a given company or organization. And so maintaining a professional style, adhering to standards of language usage as set by the organization, um, if they've done such a thing, um, and always being consistent. Um, another writing-type job, that has come up recently is um, writing content for websites. Um, I guess that's copywriting. Uh, There are organizations or businesses, if they are looking to start up a new website, uh, they may hire someone to write the content for them. Those are the two that come to my mind. Ghostwriting, I mean, that's kind of a segue to what you mentioned. Um, There are, especially in the erotica, erotic romance market, there's lots of authors who will pay people a flat fee to ghostwrite. Often it's a short story or novella. Um, The the word counts are shorter in that market anyway. Like 
uh, a novel is sometimes anything over 30,000 words. So uh, you can you can sometimes, you know, write, say, a short story for 50 bucks. Yeah, that might be a little high. Sometimes they'll try to do it for lower. Like you might make 20 bucks for a short story. But if you're just trying to make some extra cash, like let's say you, you quit your day job and you decide, I'm going to be a writer. Um, and that's, that's kind of what I did. And that's of what course, I'm planning to do. Um, excited yeah. and nervous about it. So if you're, you're kind of entering the water from, like I guess uh, I was in that position when I just jumped in. And I knew right away that I'm not going to be making a living on novel sales right away. So how can I use this skill set? And then, and then it led me to start an editing company. Um, I had already done some editing work, so that was a nice uh, way to bridge things together. Um, but I think the, the reality is it's going to be tough. There will be tough times, and that's where uh, sort of in your mind you, you stay focused on what you're doing. Like when you sit down and you spend, say, two hours a day writing, that's what I do. I don't see that as two hours of hobby time. I see that as like I, I calculate, you know, roughly a sum. This is how much money I'll make on this book in the big picture. And then I calculate roughly how many hours I'm going to spend on it. And I divide that up and I say, I just earned this much money. Mm. I'm going to get paid for it later. But so in my mind, I'm working. That's really uh, interesting. It unfortunately doesn't make credit cards. <laughs> but, but, you know, if for yourself, if you're if you're doing this, it's how you think of what you're doing is very important. Uh, because if you think of it as I'm just doing this as a hobby and I hope it'll turn into a profession, then it's more than likely you're going to get stressed out when the bills pile up and when things aren't going so well and you'll be like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. So, so well, that's I, there's a there's this difference, I think, uh, and writing excuses helped me with this. I think we were talking about this in our Slack a few days ago um, about this sort of idea of the aspiring writer versus the writer. Um, and an aspiring writer is a hobbyist. It's a it's a misnomer, really, because um, if you write, you're a writer, and that's what um, that's what they put forth, and that's something that I subscribe to now because I I appreciate being able to think of myself that way. It helps me to sort of get in the right mindset as I work. Um, but you know, there's there's a remarkable need for words, um, and and it turns out that uh, that writing comes not so easily for a great great number of people um, and if it's something that you enjoy doing and can do with relative uh, relative ease or perhaps at least quickly um, then there's plenty of work for you either working as a contractor or full-time for a company like Craig was saying that needs a communications person and there are very there are various fields of communication there's um, there's public relations, there's content marketing, which you also alluded to, there's ghostwriting, like, uh, you know, I, I was ghostwriting for a CEO of a startup for a while, um, we were doing bylines, so, um, you know, like, thoughtful articles about the state of the internet, where he would tell me what he wanted to say, and then I would put that into an article. Um, there's a ton of options out there, there's social media copy, um, social media marketing is huge, uh, there's advertising, there's... Uh, there's um, about a million news sites and review sites that are looking for freelance writers. Um, but if you want a place to sort of aggregate the kinds of one-time jobs, there are a lot of really good websites out there. Um, I, for some reason, my mind is blanking on the names of these various freelance sites. There's uh, Upwork and uh, Elance and all kinds of websites that uh, 
that allow people to post uh, job needs. You could even go to Craigslist. Like, there's so many options out there to find um, people who are looking for writers. Um, and I, without doing a lot of research, I still feel fairly confident in saying there are more people looking for writers than there are writers looking for this work. Um, so if you really just go out there and take the time and make yourself willing to take a few low-paying jobs to start, there's work out there for you as an independent writer. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one thing that I would add to all that is um, you may find yourself in the position while well, you do this, uh, just you'll have some months that might be better than others or worse than others, I guess, is the way I'm putting it. Um, and, and you might take on a gig or two. And so what's very important in when, you, when you're deciding how you're going to take on some other part-time gigs that aren't related to what you do that you make sure that they're not going to kill your pursuit. Um, it, it, often it's good, like if you could take on a uh, part-time job working as like, um, you know, you're in a parking booth or something where you're just sitting there waiting for people to validate their tickets. And, you know, if you're allowed to have a little laptop and write while you're doing nothing, things like that. Like, you know, if you were trying to figure, if you needed a way to boost your income a bit just while you kick things off, just make sure that you're able to move forward in your overall goals. Yeah, actually, my plan to supplement my income when I do uh, embark on this journey is to join the local uh, stagehands union. Um, my girlfriend's brother works as a stagehand, and a bunch of my friends do. Uh, and it's good, consistent work. It's unionized, which means that it's protected, um, and the pay is, is better than decent. Um, and the calls are often at pretty weird times. So you'll get like a four-hour call from like, 10 to 2 p.m. and then you'll go back in at like 10 p.m. till 3 a.m. and it's a really weird life and they all we live really weird lives but they have an enormous amount of free time and they have access to um they have access to regular work that they can turn down at their leisure and they can um come and go sort of as they please because of the nature of the work it's um, it's remarkably liberating. Uh, and I think that there is a focus, at least in the States, I'm not sure how it is for you guys up in Canada, um, which is like a vastly superior place given recent political turns here. Um, but here, there is this focus on consistent nine to five labor. There's this kind of um, societal frowning upon uh, vocational labor or anything that might be perceived as something that isn't intellectually stimulating, when in reality there's a huge need for this specific kind of labor. And while this isn't making a living as a writer, this is making the kind of living that is flexible enough for you to pursue writing fully. Um, it sounds totally unreasonable and kind of incongruous, but I know I've felt this way, I'm sure you guys have too, but answering emails all day is mentally exhausting. And mm -hmm. when I get home, when I used to get home from from days when I was working at these uh, like Fortune 500 companies, these large corporations, I wouldn't have it in me to write creatively. I wouldn't I wouldn't have it in me to do anything. I would just want to watch TV and like drink a beer because I spent all day answering inane emails, and everyone else knows they're inane, and I know the emails I'm sending are inane, and it's weird. Like mm -hmm. we're doing this like violent thing to each other where we're like, all right, get ready for the dumbest email you've ever received. Here it goes. Would you please email the following to person so-and-so? There it is. The dumbest email of all time. I'm sure you've all gotten one of those. Oh, yes. 
Yeah, I spend all day right now answering emails. It's and exhausting. It is, it's yep. exhausting. Yeah. So I have to do my writing before I go to work. Mm-hmm. Is what I, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a principle, and I, I don't remember who coined it, uh, but I it, it's sort of a, when you're talking about productivity, you should manage your energy. It's more important than your time. Mm-hmm. You can manage time all you want, but if your energy is depleted, you know, that hour or two you slotted in to do whatever, it's not going to happen because in terms of your energy and your flow, you're just, it, you know, you're, you're not there. Uh, and creativity is one of those things that, you can force it, but you can't force it if you're not if you're not in that space, you know. Uh, so I mean, for myself, I have to I'm I have to write first before anything else because I find as soon as my mind gets charging and in, into work and other things that I'm doing to to pay the bills, um, I, I mean, this, I'm a different headspace. So yes, I could open my manuscript and I could work. But I wouldn't really have that sense of that I'm really going in deep and connecting to everything uh, and kind of putting that front and center. So uh, so that's so important. And whatever you do, I mean, there's so many different ways that trying to be a full-time writer can look. Mm-hmm. And I think reality is those authors who are paid six- and seven-figure advances and they don't have to do anything but write and then maybe go and run around and promote like their publishers tell them to, you know, that that is rare. I mean, we look at them as saying that's where I want to get, but I don't think we realize that they are a tiny, tiny percent of authors. And this vast spectrum of authors are ones who are making four or five digit, maybe six, uh, yeah, four or five digit tends to be the range for the vast majority of full-time authors. So they're all supplementing their income with, something mm-hmm. and then i think it's also important to recognize that um novels you get usually like one chunk of money or you, you might get a couple chunks but that's it and that's it for a year or two maybe whereas authors who write a lot of short stories they get little chunks here and there which add up like mm-hmm. i we know an author that's published over 1200 times i believe it's his uh wow I'm employment doing it for 40 years yeah it's wow. 40 years that, that, that's so- enormous wow that adds up like little pockets of money here and here there yeah. it all adds up yeah and you know with approach like that what i like about that is it's just you know it's like if you're a blacksmith you just go in the forge and you you tap away and that's what it's like right 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 out 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 you know and you just go 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 and you don't stop and think about that one story here and how mm-hmm. it did you're always focused on making the current story you're writing as good as it can be. There's sort of a romanticism to that. Um, I mean, what's interesting about that? There's there's mm-hmm. a beautiful romanticism to that that stands in counterpoint to this sort of like woe-begotten, burning the midnight oil writer with a bottle of whiskey who's writing that the great, to quote unquote, the great American novel, which is an absurd pursuit. Um, this this idea of like literati, um, and I think that we could all do. I certainly could with a bit of like a deflation and just like that blacksmithing metaphor is so wonderful because it's art, it's artistry, but it's consistent work. And some days you're not making the spade beautifully. Some days the the product that you're making, the ingot is just terrible or whatever it is, but you still go back every day, day in, day out because it's your work. 
And sometimes you're doing that work for yourself to make something beautiful. Sometimes you're doing that work for someone else to make something beautiful. But you go in and you do the work. And I think that's such a beautiful way to think about it. Because so often we're, we get this image of like sitting alone in dark Manhattan and the you know mist is coming in at 4.30 in the morning and I'm smoking the 13th cigarette of the hour and I just don't know the word for the dame's legs. And it's like, come on, get over it a little bit. Go to work. Um, <laughs> you know, like, and it, the thing is, is that that doesn't preclude the art that we create from being important to us and creatively nourishing. It means that it's finding a balance between putting your own work on such a high level, on such a high pedestal, and putting the work itself, like elevating the work of writing as opposed to the product of your writing. Maybe, maybe that's. Well, and there's that saying, I think it's Leonardo da Vinci, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but great art is never finished. It's always abandoned. Mm. Uh, and, and that's the same idea with writing. Like, it's not about saying I'm going to write garbage and not think about it, but it's about setting finite limits on your process and deciding that I'm going to do these things and this is my due diligence and I'm going to keep doing this. And, you know, your process might evolve as you go, but you get out of this, like, kill the perfectionist. Because, mm. I, I mean, you could, there are some writers who take that approach seven, eight years. Right in office, off. you know, he wrote. Yeah, he was 14, I think. And mm -hmm. he wrote the whole trilogy and he, he beat up that first novel as much as he could mm -hmm. before it was sold. And, I mean, it's great when that works out. Um, but there are, there are that, like, huge number of authors, like, that have done that very thing and 14 years in and they're still the problem with that approach is if you're limited by something you don't get a chance to see what that limitation is because you're just going in circles mm -hmm. so the nice thing about lateralizing and say if you want decide i'm going to make a living as a writer and you explore some short fiction or some uh non-fiction venues or whatever it may be you're growing. I mean, I found for myself going into this and becoming an editor, I like editing a book. I, I mean, that's like bicep, tricep, you know, bicep mm -hmm. story and tricep, the editing it. It sort of is a full, a very different way to uh, improve as a storyteller and, and add perspectives. So any kind of work you can get that works those muscles will help you grow. And, and that's the ultimate goal. I completely um, agree. My work as a marketing writer has been invaluable to my fiction um, for so many reasons. Uh, and I never in a million years would have thought that I'd say those words. Um, but writing <laughs> writing blog posts for Yahoo really elevated my fiction game. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's kind of absurd, but it really is the truth. Well, yeah, I, I totally see something to that because when people write fiction, a lot of the problem is you can you can get away with wandering in circles or not being clear or not uh, not having proper paragraph flow and concision. And when you apply those skills to fiction, it becomes sharper. There's a lot of skills I could see how that would translate. So there must, yeah, that that sounds it sounds like a really good um, gig for. Yeah. Um, and I guess to connect it back to this idea of killing the perfectionist, like there, there was a part of me that felt like ah, marketing writing, like I'm like, I'm selling my soul, but that it like couldn't be further from the truth. I'm making a living as a writer. It was surreal that I got to go into work every day and write blog posts and they were sending me home with money. That is yeah. insane. 
Like, what an enormous and wonderful privilege. Like, I don't have to be writing heart-rending poetry to be satisfied as a writer. And maybe that's not true for everyone, and I completely respect everyone's path. Like, I'm not trying to tell anyone how to live their lives. But for me, I was shocked at the amount of satisfaction that I got from seeing writer on my business card. Even though it was for some big company. Even though it was for stuff that I, that I may have found, like, advertising, I think, is, a, is like a toxic thing that is that is destroying society but i wrote for an advertising company because that's what was paying the bills and it was also improving my writing dramatically so it was kind of a win-win and i was able to nourish my creative soul uh without feeling like i was contributing too heavily to the death of intellectualism in our country and world um sorry that's like super negative um i did want to i did want to cover a couple of resources i don't know if you guys have any up in canada but in the u.s we have i'm not sure if it's a formal union but it's the freelancers union uh they're an organization based in new york that is uh working actually nationwide but primarily in new york legislatively to create um uh actual legislation for to protect freelancers so they they passed an act called the freelancers and free act which enables uh simpler legal action for freelancers who are seeking payment for their work because oftentimes we run into a situation where someone solicits you for a job and then you never get paid um and so they passed an act that that allows people to to sort of have a streamlined process for requesting those funds um but they don't have a ton of resources they're free to join um freelancers i think it's the freelanceunion.org but if you google freelancers union you'll find it um they're a fantastic resource they are primarily writers and uh like coders and designers uh, which makes a lot of sense because that seems to be the bulk of freelance labor these days um so if you want to check out the freelancers union i highly recommend it um we are approaching time and uh i've i've meandered a bit um but that it was very, it was I think very we covered it well it was yeah. a very organic conversation though. oh well that's so good but it was organic be because i mean you could we could be we could all be traditionally published uh advanced earning authors talking about making a living as a writer but i feel like what we talked about today is the realities of making a writer for the majority Mm -hmm. of people will want to make it as a writer and mm -hmm. and and i think that uh yeah I, I hope this is going to be useful to everyone yeah i think if i if i could summarize the entire point it's until you have enough work under your belt no work isn't good enough for you as a freelancer and you kind of have to bite the bullet for a little while until you can start turning things down um i mean look at people like uh, mary robinette kowal she's a successful writer She's been a puppeteer for many years. She, on paper, looks like she's had massive success, but she's been taking on freelance labor this entire time, and until her Patreon achieved a certain level, she was still taking gigs that she didn't want to take because that's what was required for her. And she is, like, a superstar. She's, like, a Campbell Award winner. She's sold novels. She's, like, got all kinds of accolades. And even she still had a job. Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, kept his job at Google as a software engineer. I think he might even still be there. Right. Even though he's like massively successful, um, I mean, he probably doesn't need it, but I think he's just a special kind of dude who wants to just continue being a software engineer at Google. Um, but yeah, so like, it don't 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 worry the way I did. Um, save yourself the trouble of worrying that some some writing will be either beneath you or that it will detract from your ability to produce fiction, because all writing is writing. It turns out. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a really valuable lesson that took me way too long to learn.
and some jobs will be painful but you will get stronger those mm-hmm. ones especially make you stronger <laughs> totally yeah um, um so i think we have our our final our final little wrap-up thoughts here so john why don't you take it away yeah, this is, I guess, like a closing remark as well as a recommendation. So we talked a lot about how to make a living as a writer. And like I think we, we sort of skirted around the idea of hybridizing. So um, talked about short fiction and how that often helps. And just the idea of getting stuff out there. So we live in the age of indie publishing, which indie is the term that's often applied to self-publishing when you're trying to do it professionally. Uh and so if you want to get into, I think especially the romance genre is a, is a really hot one for just getting some stuff out there and sales. But this also could work for science fiction or fantasy um, and getting stuff done quickly. There is actually a book uh, that I would recommend. It's called uh, The Five-Day Novel by uh, Scott King. So that's Five-Day Novel by Scott King. Uh it's uh, basically what it sounds like. How do you? He he goes through this nut crazy process where he writes an entire novel uh, in five days, and that includes, I think, his drafting as well. Wow! Uh, like so, so by the end, he's got <laughs> something ready to publish. Now, keep in mind, this is mostly romance genre where mm-hmm. a novel uh, is in the thirty to forty thousand range. But just this principle of developing a process and getting it done and, and, you know, hybridize your platform. If you're working on a longer novel and you want to break in traditionally, it's not going to hurt you to start by having some self-publishing stuff out there. Um, I mean, unless it's, if you don't want to hurt your pen name, you can, you can create like another pen name, you know, like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, I yeah. Mean, and I mean, I, I, just to, to piggyback on that, no, I, I don't, I don't think I hear anyone anymore refer to themselves as a genre specific writer. Like mm-hmm. I like I don't talk to anyone who's like, "Oh, I'm a fantasy writer." Yeah. I I exclusively write long form epic fantasy. Like that's that's not that common these days. People are really diversifying. Um short fiction, there's all these hybrid actual forms of fiction. Science fantasy is becoming bigger and bigger. Um mm-hmm. you know, these like very far past the meltdown of society and suddenly we've got like a you know, AI being called ghosts in the machine, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Anywho, so I apologize for, for once again stealing time, precious time away from your wisdom, John. Oh, and Craig. Good, this is good. Good stuff we're adding here. Um, so that is The Five Day Novel by Scott King. Um, I'll be picking it up because I'd love to learn how to write a novel in five days, let alone finish one ever. Um, but uh, but yeah, that, that, that's all from, from us for this week we will uh we'll talk to you all later you have a great day now